You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. For these smaller companies who don't have the IR infrastructure in place, don't have a good PR company, these whisper campaigns on the web can absolutely decimate these companies, sometimes driving them under. And if the person doing it is a short seller, then they've got a vested interest. It's not just malice. It's not just malicious intent. It's like when you have the insurance policy on your neighbor's house and you go burn it down and you profit from your active arson. That's the equivalent of these campaigns. They're looking to burn the company down and uh, lock in a short profit. Welcome back to Money Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, I asked my friend, Carrie Lutz, who's a lawyer, with decades of experience in the Manhattan financial districts in a previous season of his career to come on the show to talk about what is the line between a bear thesis for a small cap resource stock and defamation? And what should a company do if that line is crossed and there's someone on the internet defaming and putting out intentionally false and misleading information about a company? Because in small cap speculation, there is this lack of knowledge. So potential uh, bullish thesis comes out uh, regarding a company that nobody knew about, the stock could potentially go up because there's an influx of buyers that didn't know about this. But when there's also negative information that's shared about a company, it could cause a sell-off in that stock greater than what should be, especially if it's based on incorrect information. I've seen this in the sector myself to where I've seen, I would say, defamatory information put out there, 100% false. And I've called companies and said, what about this? And they say, nope, that is not true at all. We never said that. We're not doing that. I've also seen this amongst uh, resource newsletter writers in the sector to where one certain insecure newsletter writer might defame and say, oh, this newsletter writer is taking stock from a company. When I call that person, I say, do you take stock from companies to feature them in your newsletter? No, I don't do that at all. And did you let this person know that? Yeah, I contacted them, told them what they are saying about me is false. And they basically told me to get lost. So I've seen this defamation in different aspects within this sector. I asked Kerry to come on the show. He's a lawyer. He understands finance. He's also sponsored by a lot of small cap resource stocks for his show. So Kerry, you were recently uh, someone who testified in a defamation case. Can you share about that and how does yeah. it relate to what I'm discussing here? Sure. It's all public record. So Jason Hartman, a well-known real estate uh, you know, advisor, I mean, I dealt with him. He was a show sponsor for years and years. Uh, some wannabe competitors started a campaign against him and they registered URLs anonymously and they set up Gmail accounts and they started a nonstop stream of defamatory material And this. So defamation, you got to understand, uh, falls into, we should define it first because uh, many of you out there might not know or understand the concept. So two types of defamation, libel and slander. Uh, slander is, hey, we're at the bar and I say, you know, this guy here, you know, stole $10 million within earshot of a bunch of people. Or I'm on a podcast and I say the same thing about them. So tens of thousands of people will hear. And then there's a cause of action there. Libel, it's what really what we're talking about is written communication. If you wrote something about a uh, defamatory about a lady in the men's room, that would be uh, libel if they could prove that you did it. A defense 
to defamation is truth is an absolute defense, which means if what you said was true, end of discussion, no cause of action. Some of the things that they put in uh, this material that was defaming uh, Jason was true, but not out of context. And then much of it was just untrue. And they had a whole campaign to destroy his company. He saw his sales dip. He hired a private investigator who was able to find out the real people behind these URLs. He had his suspicions and then he sued these people. I was one of the witnesses. When you have a lawyer on the stand, it could go really well or it could go really bad. The key thing when you're uh, cross-examining a witness is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. And they asked them multiples. And then I would just throw in little things like, hey, this was a digital lynching. I said to Jason, you know, you win this lawsuit, where are you going to go to get your reputation back? Because that's what always happens in these false prosecution cases. And that was uh, by Reagan's uh, housing uh, HUD secretary. He was brought up on fake charges in New Jersey, surprise, and he beat them. And then they're interviewing him at the end. And he says, well, where do I go to get my reputation back? And that's the problem with these things. So in Jason's case, you know, I wouldn't say I was the star witness, but I was an important witness. He got a $42 million judgment. It was then cut back to $28 million. And uh, now they're going with post-trial motions. They'll probably never see any money. But his reputation, his business was under direct assault. He had to uh, defend it, in his opinion. And uh, he spent a fortune doing it. For defamation, you're not insured. Uh, that is what's called an intentional tort. That's like if you went and murdered somebody, you know, your insurance company is not going to pay off for intentional murder. Yeah, if it was vehicular uh, negligence or whatever, that's a different story. But for for intentional torts, crimes, insurance doesn't cover you for it. So these guys are out, left there holding the bag. They'll probably wind up going bankrupt at some point. But that's the other thing. In the U.S., judgment resulting from an intentional tort, that's like fraud, like defamation. You can't get a discharge in bankruptcy for that judgment. So you have to understand that these, the courts treat defamation claims as, we would say they're disfavored causes of action, because if they encourage these cases, you know, you call somebody a name, you're in an argument, you call them a name, you'll wind up being sued. You have to make a special showing in your complaint, you know, and you got to show, allege real damages that are provable. And that's why so few of these cases ever come about. Let's not confuse this with what the media does because they have further privileges and there's privileges to defamation claims like that uh, you, you totally believed it. You have a privilege because you're commenting on your own affairs. So you're allowed to uh, make statements that you believe to be true. There's a few privileges involved here, but you know, for these smaller companies who don't have the IR infrastructure in place, don't have a good PR company, these whisper campaigns on the web can absolutely decimate these companies, sometimes driving them under. And if the person doing it is a short seller, then they've got a vested interest. It's not just malice. It's not just malicious intent. It's like when you, uh, you have the insurance policy on your neighbor's house and you go burn it down and you profit from your act of arson. That's the equivalent of these campaigns. They're looking to burn the company down and uh, lock in a short profit. It's happened. We've seen it come up in court many, many times in different lawsuits. 
but these cases are very hard to prove and they are like i said the courts are predisposed against you and of course you have the cost of litigation you know some junior miner that's more concerned about drill results doesn't want to spend 500 thousand a million dollars to bring a uh, a libel suit plus then you publicize the defamatory content and the people looking at it might not understand that uh, it's defamatory so you could uh, increase the damage of the uh, conduct that you're fighting so you know you have so to it's rigged in favor of the defamers essentially is what you're I, saying i wouldn't say it's rigged in their favor but the risk to the defamer uh, to the slanderer is is somewhat limited now that doesn't mean that it doesn't have its own set of risks because they have if it gets out that they're doing this they can have reputational harm i mean i got sued for slander one time because a guy owed me ten thousand dollars i had a couple of checks written on his bank and i called i said i got like two checks written here are they good and the bank said no and he said that this was defamation and uh, we were down in uh, south carolina getting sued for 10 million dollars being a new yorker i didn't think my chances were so good we basically put him into bankruptcy and got paid got everything dismissed so that was just one instance and i didn't even really do anything wrong but could not get it dismissed so these are like risky things for both sides you know it's like what your mother said if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it and if you do have something that's true that isn't nice don't profit from it because it it's really like a low form a low low blow it just it just should be avoided in a civilized society Darian, you and i were not against bare theses right so even as you and i have looked yeah. at different investments together you come up with the bull argument for a given company and then you have to acknowledge the bear thesis what could go wrong yeah. so we're not talking about getting rid of intelligent discussion because that's what creates markets we're just talking about intentionally false and misleading information that does damages to specific companies and of course the investors in those companies yeah yeah and like i say the intent usually in that case is going to be financial the motivation but, you know, there's these wacko trolls out there on the internet. They just do it because uh, they like to blow things up, you know? And they start to, you know, you see it on the boards all the time. They make claims about the company. So, look, at the very least, your company falls victim. You should send out a cease and desist letter. And then just sit back and see if they respond or not. But at least they're on notice then that you're aware of it and you're not going to put up with it. What you do from that point on... You have to see what the circumstances dictate. If it's really damaging and it's really having a negative effect, there might be other remedies available as well. If the person's a member of an exchange, uh, they got to uphold certain levels of conduct and or if they're licensed professional. So it could be a complaint to FINRA or to whatever governing board there is, we'll shut them up and they might be forced to actually post a retraction. But retractions, even if they retract, the damage is still done. Yeah, that's an important point to note. But what happened if they're a newsletter writer or social media influencer or just a random person that's spamming all these message boards? What would a company do? Cease and desist letter? Yeah, cease and desist. That's where you started out. We, we know the people who are out there doing this. 
and some of them do have financial motivation and some are just crazy. It's like when you're dealing with a crazy person, usually the best thing to do is just to ignore them because when you start engaging them, unless you're really going to come down heavy and slam them, you know, you just encourage them, you empower them. So taking the high road, always cease and desist litigation being the last, absolute last resort because it's so costly and unpredictable. Gary, you're invested in a company and then you see slander and malicious information being put out against a company that you're invested in. How does that affect how you view that company as the as an investor? Because that's what our listeners are. Well, you know, it depends. If I think it's going to do lasting damage, I might very well dispose of my shares. So they've accomplished their purpose. But if I believe in, comp- in the company, I know the management, I know that they've uh, been truthful with me in the past, then I'll generally stick with them and help them devise a strategy. Sometimes it's PR, you know. There are public relations firms that specialize in damage control. And sometimes you just bring that on and it, you know, it could have the opposite effect. Like nobody knew about your company, then uh, it's getting slammed and then they get curious about the story and then they watch your response and they say, oh, that's all garbage. And then they wind up investing in you. It's how you handle it then, huh? Yeah, it's a strategy of dealing with it. It's all too common in uh, today's world and it might be uh, you can get the search algorithm to omit that uh, comment you know the uh, search engines social media companies are under i think it's 1031 or something like that they're uh, exempt from defamatory statements that are posted by third parties on their sites and that goes for you and me as well but generally if they know something's false you can get them to uh, take it down Gary, I didn't mention your show at the outset. I just assumed people knew, but it's Financial Survival Network. You are one of the original financial podcasters, been at at this well over a decade. For people that don't know, what do you offer? Oh, just uh, we try to get the contrary opinion in, the opinion that the mainstream media is not covering, whether it's uh, global health issues or whether it's uh, the precariousness of the financial system, whatever it might be. You know, we try to get deconstruct and get down to what appears to be the truth. But nowadays, you just never know, especially with these uh, with AI fakes coming in now. It can be very difficult to discern truth from uh, fiction. So you're a rebellious libertarian then? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Not so much rebellious anymore. I'm too old to be rebelling, but uh, but I'm not accepting of the uh, the narrative. That's for sure. Yeah, well, Kerry, you're a good friend. Thanks for coming on my show today. Always an honor, a pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. 
The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or a hundred thousand dollars, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility—certainly not the certainty—but the possibility of ten for one returns, as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks, and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector, and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident, and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because、um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met, you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors, and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own. Thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature, and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.